Explicit content is found in this episode, so listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to the True Crime Fan Club Podcast. I'm your host, Lainey. Serial killers are almost always made famous by their crimes. The public nearly always knows when a serial killer is on the loose. So how could one remain living among the unsuspecting public, undetected by all? That is precisely what happened with Lorenzo Gilliard for several decades before DNA evidence finally brought him to justice. A retired sociology professor from the University of Missouri-Kansas City, Dr. Thomas Carroll, was quoted as saying, It used to be that you'd murder two or three people, and everyone in the country knew your name. You were a famous killer. Now a guy kills 13, and nobody's ever heard of him. Okay. On to the show. Lorenzo Gilliard was born into a family filled with violence. His father, brother, and sister all have served or are serving prison sentences for violent crimes. It almost seems inevitable that Lorenzo, too, would go on to live a life of crime and violence towards women. He was born on May 24, 1950 in Kansas City, Missouri, and was one of three children. Lorenzo married his first wife, Rena Hill, in 1968 when he was only 18 years old. She had become pregnant, so they decided to get married. Their marriage ended after five years, and she would later go on to say that it was five years of pure torture that began almost immediately after they married. They were high school sweethearts, and Rena only knew Lorenzo to be fun until their marriage. After his eventual arrest, she described the mental health counseling she received after their marriage and the counseling she felt she would need again after learning of his horrific crimes. During their first year of marriage, Lorenzo was accused of assault against an acquaintance. He was accused and arrested twice for rape and assault in 1964 by an unknown woman, but the accusations never seemed to go anywhere and Lorenzo was still on the streets, terrorizing his wife and anyone else that seemed to set him off. Rena and Lorenzo divorced in 1973, and less than one year later, he was accused of raping an exotic dancer. In July of 1974, Lorenzo was charged with raping the 13-year-old sister of a friend. He was convicted in 1975, and sentenced to only nine months in jail. During this time, he was evaluated by a psychiatrist as a part of his competency test, but it was noted that Lorenzo would not require psychotherapy and no further testing or evaluation was done. He was released, and his crimes immediately escalated. In 1977, Lorenzo began his murder spree, which would go on until 1993 and take the lives of 13 women who were killed simply because they were sex workers, which made them more vulnerable to this type of psychopath and allowed their murders to go unnoticed by police for so long. On April 17, 1977, Stacy Swafford was found at the corner of 45th and Garfield in Kansas City, Missouri. She had been raped and was naked with only a binding on her arm. She was lying on her back with her legs spread. Stacy died of strangulation at the age of 17. Little was reported about his second marriage and divorce, and on October 1, 1979, Lorenzo married his third wife, 
It was in this same year that he also was accused of kidnapping and rape. There was a young couple that claimed that Lorenzo had kidnapped them at gunpoint, tied the man up, and raped the woman. In September of 1980, Lorenzo was acquitted of the kidnapping and rape charges after a jury trial. After his acquittal on those charges, he was convicted of aggravated assault for threatening to shoot his wife. She divorced him in January of 1981, and in March, he assaulted her again, twice. Lorenzo was sentenced on November 20, 1981, to one year in jail for third-degree assault and four years for burglary for a different incident. He was able to post an appeal bond, which allowed him to be released for several months following his sentence. On January 23, 1980, the youngest of Lorenzo's victims, Gwendolyn Kazine, was found at 1312 Paseo Street in Kansas City, laid up against a building. She was raped but found fully clothed except her shoes. Gwendolyn died of strangulation at only 15 years old. On May 9, 1982, Margaret Miller was found at 37th and Garfield in Kansas City. She had been raped and was completely nude except for her socks and shoes. She was last seen wearing a blue and white striped shirt with a blue and white jogging top, a white bra, lace panties, two pairs of socks, and tennis shoes. She also had a key that was clipped to her bra. The jogging top was found tied around her neck, and a blue stocking cap was stuffed into her mouth. Margaret died from strangulation at just 17 years old. Only a little over a week later, on May 17, 1982, Lorenzo finally began serving his sentence from his November 1981 conviction. Lorenzo didn't serve the full term of his sentence. He was released on parole on January 10, 1983, but he violated parole and ended up being sentenced to serve more prison time. On January 2, 1986, he was released and got to work pretty quickly. He became a sanitation worker for Ball Disposal Service. It was reported that Lorenzo was well-liked at work and regarded as a hard worker. He was even promoted to a supervisor position, which he held up until his eventual arrest. On March 14, 1986, Catherine Berry was found under a piece of plywood at 3001 Central Street in Kansas City, which was the location of an older public works building that had long been abandoned. She had been raped and was nude with a white rosary necklace and a black stocking tied around her neck. Catherine was a mother of three children and was the only victim that wasn't a sex worker. Rather, it was reported that she was mentally ill and had walked away from home. While on the street, she frequently accepted rides from strangers. Catherine died from strangulation when she was only 34 years old. Naomi Kelly was found on August 16, 1986, at Rocket Park at 10th and Harrison in Kansas City. She was raped and found nude, lying facing upward, with her legs spread and a towel around her neck. She was a single mother that was attending business school, but was also doing sex work to make ends meet. She was last seen wearing a red dress. Naomi also died of strangulation at the age of 23. On November 27, 1986, Debbie Blevins was found at 3801 Wyandotte Avenue in Kansas City. She was raped and was located in the bushes on her stomach. She was naked except for her socks. On April 17, 1987, Ann Barnes was found on the corner of 13th and Lydia in Kansas City. She was raped and nude, lying face up with her legs spread and her knees bent. 
She was last seen wearing a pullover, blue jeans, and tennis shoes, and she was also wearing a gold watch and a gold chain. Anne died from strangulation when she was 36 years old. Less than two months later, on June 9, 1987, Kelly Ford was found at 1300 West Valentine in a wooded area of the park. She had been raped and was lying face up, completely nude, except for one sock. She was last seen wearing dark blue sunglasses, a black hat, earrings, and had on a green shirt, white undershirt, blue jeans, socks, and high-top sneakers. Kelly died from strangulation at 20 years old. On September 12, 1987, a little over three months later, Angela Mayhew was found on the 2600 block of Genesee in Kansas City. She was on her side, completely clothed except for her socks and shoes. In this murder, there didn't appear to be any signs of sexual assault. However, police did recover some hairs from her sweater that they were able to test later for DNA, which would ultimately lead to Lorenzo Gilliard. Angela died from strangulation when she was only 19 years old. Shockingly, not even a month later, on November 3, 1987, Sheila Ingold was found at 3740 Troost in Kansas City in an abandoned van. She had been raped and was nude except for a sweater pulled up over her breasts and her legs were spread. Friends and family reported to police that she always wore a silver and gold ring, but neither were found with her body. Sheila died from strangulation when she was 36 years old. In December of 1987, police detectives were investigating Sheila Ingold's murder and Lorenzo Gilliard's name came up as a possible suspect. He voluntarily submitted his blood as a part of the investigation, but nothing ever came of it and he was not pursued further. Despite his interaction with police, on December 19, 1987, Carmeline Hibbs was found at 3560 Broadway in Kansas City in a second-story parking garage wearing all of her clothes except for her shoes. The odd thing in this murder is that despite being fully clothed, the crotch of her underwear and jeans were torn out. Carmeline was raped and died from strangulation when she was 30 years old. On February 12, 1989, Helga Kruger was found lying face down in the street. She was 26 years old and was from Austria. Additional details of this particular crime are unknown. The murder was connected to Lorenzo Gilliard after he was already in jail awaiting trial on his other murder charges. Okay, so here's the thing. I love native deodorant. I went back for just a little bit to my old deodorant and could just tell the difference. So I went back to native and even set myself up on a subscription so I would never forget to get it again. With Native, less is more. They have fewer, simpler ingredients, so I know everything that's in that deodorant. Native comes in a wide variety of enticing scents for men and women. Plus, they release new limited edition seasonal scents throughout the year. They also offer an unscented formula and baking soda-free formula for those with sensitivities. Lavender and Rose is still my jam. Best of all, they offer free returns and exchanges in the USA. For 20% off your first purchase, visit nativedeodorant.com and use promo code TCFC during checkout. Again, for 20% off your first purchase, visit nativedeodorant.com and use promo code TCFC during checkout. 
True crime is my passion, but even I need the occasional break from all the crazy stories I have to cover for you guys. So when I feel like I need a mental palate cleanser, my go-to refresher is Best Fiends. I love how casual the game is, but it is still very challenging. I'm currently on level 293, and currently I'm on Fiendtoberfest, which means that if I finish the challenge, then I get one birthday fiend and I'm almost there. One of my favorite things about Best Fiends is that it never gets old. Truly, they update the game monthly with new levels and events. It doesn't require an internet connection to play. It's great for traveling, and you can literally play it anywhere. So what I want for you guys to do is engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters too. Five-star rated mobile puzzle game with over 100 million downloads globally. So download free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. There was a small pause in the crimes and in 1991, Lorenzo married his fourth wife. They were happy and lived in a small house together in Kansas City up until his arrest and conviction for the murders. They appeared to live a happy and quiet life together. Lorenzo loved his cars and continued his work as a supervisor with the disposal company. Neighbors didn't report him to be particularly friendly, but nearly all of them seemed shocked when they learned of his terrible crimes. Much like many other serial killers, he just didn't seem like the serial killer type to his neighbors. The fact that he chose mostly sex workers as victims shows he certainly wouldn't have needed to be charming to win these women over. Even Catherine, who wasn't a sex worker, would have likely seemed to be one to Lorenzo, since she was typically wandering the streets and areas frequented by other sex workers. This is most likely what allowed Lorenzo to escape police scrutiny for so long, despite having an assaultive criminal history. On January 11, 1993, Connie Luther was found at 25th and Allen Terrace in Kansas City, lying in a snowdrift on her side. She had been raped and was completely nude except for a shoestring around her neck and a sock inside her mouth. She was possibly last wearing a blue ski jacket, jeans, and high-top sneakers. Connie died from strangulation when she was 29 years old, and she is believed to be Lorenzo Gilliard's final victim. Once again, Lorenzo seemed to take a hiatus for a few years. In September of 1995, he began to stalk a neighbor who eventually filed for a personal protection order in July of 1996. She later moved away. While Lorenzo was still displaying alarming behavior towards women, he seemed to have finally stopped attacking and murdering them. But what was it that made him stop? Most serial killers are unable to stop once they've started. In this particular case, Lorenzo was never really on police's radar except for the short period following the murder of Sheila Ingold. In fact, during the time when he submitted a blood sample, police did have him followed for a short while. But when he didn't do anything to garner more suspicion, they stopped and never looked at him again. Had they had him under surveillance for just a little bit longer, police might have caught him sooner. So the question remains, why did he stop? Did he think he had gotten away with so much for so long that he should quit while he was ahead? Was it because he met and married his fourth wife a few years before the last killing and felt some sort of remorse? 
we will never really know because he would never truly take responsibilities for his crimes and therefore never speak a word about them other than to deny his involvement. Lorenzo Gilliard would have probably gotten away with his crimes and may have even taken those secrets to his grave. But in 2003, Kansas City, Missouri was awarded a federal grant for $111,000 that allowed for paid overtime hours for state laboratory technicians to test and analyze cold case evidence and DNA. Thousands of overtime hours were logged, and it was fruitful as many DNA hits came up. In early April of 2004, Lorenzo Gilliard's DNA hit as a match to 12 unsolved murders, going all the way back to 1977. Police immediately put a tail on Lorenzo, and on April 16, 2004, Lorenzo Gilliard was arrested at a Denny's restaurant and held without bail. He was arrested on 10 counts of first-degree murder and two counts of capital murder. Police executed a search warrant on his home, 2002 Land Rover, and a Ford Ranger truck, but nothing of interest or value was found. Lorenzo was not the kind of serial killer that kept trophies from his past crimes. On April 17, 2004, prosecutors officially charged Lorenzo Gilliard with 12 counts of murder. He pled not guilty, and so would begin the long and arduous judicial process. Prosecutors indicated that they would be seeking the death penalty against Lorenzo, so naturally his defense attorney tried to land his client a deal to keep him off death row. There was no arguing that Lorenzo committed the murders, even if he refused to admit it. He literally left his DNA behind at every single crime scene. Thankfully, in every single crime scene, DNA was collected and preserved, which is how this prolific yet unknown serial killer was finally brought to justice. Prosecutors agreed to a deal because they didn't want to drag out the proceedings any longer for families of the victims. Lorenzo's deal was that he would waive nearly all of his appeal rights and would request a bench trial rather than a trial by a jury of his peers. A bench trial is a trial that is held only in front of a judge and no jury. Only the judge hears evidence and decides the guilt or innocence of a defendant. The prosecution side had an overwhelming amount of DNA evidence against Lorenzo, which can be a great advantage in bench trials because juries can sometimes get confused by too much forensic evidence. Incredibly, his defense attorney argued that his client did like to visit sex workers and that perhaps someone else had followed Lorenzo Gilliard, killing the victims behind him. Of course, prosecutors argued how absolutely absurd such an idea was and even the judge had to agree that such an idea was ridiculous. The judge wrote a scathing, 10-page remarks, findings of fact and verdict, finding Lorenzo guilty of six counts of murder. On April 14, 2007, Lorenzo was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole for those six counts of murder. Each conviction applied to the murder of a single victim. He was acquitted on one count and six counts were dismissed as a part of his deal. One count of murder for Helga Kruger was added after Lorenzo was initially charged as he came up in another DNA match in her cold case after the original 12. Her charge was one that was dismissed as a part of the plea deal. No one knew about this dangerous killer. Because of the pattern of killing and the type of victims, police admitted that they believed they had a serial killer on their hands 
when they investigated these cases. Because most of the victims were sex workers, they just weren't given the same media coverage and investigation as other serial killers' victims. Sadly, Lorenzo Gilliard could have probably been caught sooner if the police had given these deaths the proper investigation. Because Lorenzo had the same MO for each and every murder, there should have been some kind of red flag to police that they were dealing with the same person. They had him in their sights for Sheila Ingold's murder. Several lives might have been saved. There is an organization called the Sex Workers Outreach, that is an international group which looks closely at the deaths of sex workers in order to provide information and resources to them. The Kansas City murders even escaped their knowledge. Unfortunately, the murder of sex workers are often considered throwaway cases that don't get the same kind of police resources as most other murders. Despite the fact that every crime scene was nearly identical and that Lorenzo used the same method each time, which was to rape, strangle, and then position his victims, he had a variety of different victims in terms of race and age. He had Caucasian and African-American victims ranging in age from 15 to 36. While they were almost all sex workers, one was a mentally ill woman that ended up on the streets, often taking rides from strangers. They were all vulnerable women who were overlooked by mainstream society. David Krajicek, who writes for the Crime Library on True TV, reported that one of the victim's relatives spoke to the press outside of the sentencing hearing. They said that the conviction was, quote, a gift I thought we would never receive. Krajicek went on to write, quote, her gratitude is understandable but it also indicates that the loved ones of murdered prostitutes have low expectations for justice. Okay, fan club members, as I conclude this episode, my one question to you is, how will you sleep tonight? Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to leave us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast player of choice. It really does help us out. You can find us on most social media platforms, Twitter at TCFCPod, Facebook.com slash TCFCPodcast. You can also find us on Instagram, TCFC underscore podcast. And of course, our website is TrueCrimeFanClub.com. If you have an episode request, send us an email, TCFCPod at gmail.com. Producer for the show is Nico, who manages We Talk of Dreams. Follow him on Twitter at We Talk of Dreams or visit his website, WeTalkOfDreams.com. Research and content editing was conducted by Brittany Martinez. Writing for this episode was done by Mary Cole. I'm your host, Lainey. Dumb and Busted has been called, quote, one of America's greatest treasures by three out of three hosts of the show. Dumb and Busted is a weekly true crime comedy podcast with stories of exceptionally smart and insanely dumb crimes. Comedian Hunter Donaldson has hailed it as the greatest thing to come out of Portland since comedian Hunter Donaldson, who is me, also hosts the show. Podcasters Allison Copeland and Hannah Ether praised Dumb and Busted as, quote, found on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Just more rave reviews from two other people who host the show. Catch us every Thursday and follow us at Dumb and Busted on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Crime you later!